Welcome back. First Y Hockey periodical podcast of the new season. Technically. Technically. We're under construction still. We went to the cottage, the fake cottage that we don't own in Ontario. We don't have the budget on this podcast to go to a cottage and have margaritas like one Bob McKenzie does, and yet he could still tweet pictures when he's in Italy, and somehow he'll still probably be in a cottage in northern Ontario. We don't have that kind of budget. But since hockey basically shuts off in July, why not us do that too so we're not talking about complete and total nonsense? I mean, we always talk about complete and total nonsense, let's be honest. But we decided to do something in July. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's enough of that going on in the world today. Uh, let's... It's called Twitter. Uh, it is, but Twitter also has good things, and I will explain good things in, in a bit. But we are reconstructing the podcast a little bit. Uh, it's not going anywhere now. We're going to get more into consistency, but there's some cool things that we have up our sleeve for the season as we get into it. We are now only about two weeks away from the preseason starting, if you can believe that. So we're still working on some things, but the podcast you know and love is going to be back. One of the few places where you can actually get Critical Panthers talk on the internet, because right now there are not many podcasts and zero beat writers. We'll get to that also later. But we're happy to be back. It's been an interesting offseason. I've been thinking a lot about the Panthers, because there's really not else much to think about in hockey during August and July, other than, I mean, I guess ping pong tournaments. And I mean, I guess the ping pong tournaments are fun, but, you know, you can only think about ping pong so much, right? Well, then Dominic Moore just keeps winning. Or, no, uh, Glenn Metropolitan, right? Who's the I guy who keeps winning? I, I was not paying attention on the times when that was happening, but you know what? I wouldn't be Someone keeps it. winning it every year. Or, alternatively, OHL teams are asking their players to scrub mentions from Fortnite because hockey is a backwards sport, which makes no sense. As the Carolina Hurricanes are tweeting, look, we went to have a Fortnite competition for team building. I'll give you that one, Tom Dunn, and I'll give you that one. He also asked fans for their ideas for a third jersey. He He's getting some things right, and yet he cheaped out on having a radio broadcast. And as a play-by-play broadcaster who loves hockey a lot, that made me very angry. But he's doing other things right, so I'm feeling conflicted about him right now. But that's how bad people get high enough to be in their positions, because they do just enough good. They just enough just things enough to... Good, and the evil gets... To, to make you wait for the next good thing. Like, oh, the next good thing is going to be, that's going to be the big one that we all, we all turn around on. Maybe, maybe we should ask Jeff Skinner about that. Or, or Justin Falk. Well, I mean, Justin Falk looked like, uh, he had some issues last year, like he could care less, so. I don't know if he's the best person to ask. Well, he hasn't been traded yet. I'm sure he wishes he was in Buffalo. I think he, well, you know what? Maybe more people wish they were in Buffalo now, but, uh, Maybe because the Sabres will be better than the Bills. But before we get to that, we're going to resume this podcast by going very much on brand for Why Hockey, focusing 30 minutes on stuff that most people don't spend 30 seconds on. And in our case, that means we're about to spend 30 minutes talking about Troy Brower. Maybe not necessarily Troy Brower, but things related to Troy Brower, which, you know what, it's on brand. That's what we do. And thankfully, the Troy Brower news came when I was watching Spurs and Manchester United on Monday, so I didn't have to think about it critically until now. But we now have to think about it critically, which means I'm worried that you're going to overreact. I'm worried that Panthers Twitter overreacted from the little bit that I saw on Monday. This is, see, it's the framing like that that puts common sense, people who actually see patterns that the team has 
and this front office has laid out for years. Just call it as they see it. And now those people are, oh, they're already panicking, blah, blah, blah. It's no. This is the, what, the fifth sum in a row we've heard. The future is bright. We're getting younger. We're going to give these young kids chances. And before even training camp opens, the month before training camp opens, Dale Talon, Doug Sifu, Vinny Viola, Eric Joyce, somebody, Chris Pronger, and somebody, he's only been here for a year, but somebody's getting cold feet and always is adding veterans at the end. And it's how old does Barkov have to be before they turn the team over to him? How old, how many games does Dennis Malgan have to play on the top six before he's considered and a lock to make the NHL team? I mean, it's getting ridiculous. You're adding in Troy Browler, who, yeah, can score twice as many points as Derek McKenzie. But mom is capable of that at such a young age. Why wouldn't you play him instead? It's a young man's league. And the Florida Panthers constantly talk a big game and follow it up with nothing at the beginning of the year. No wonder the beginning of the year always sinks them and tanks them. Welcome back to the White Hockey Podcast, everybody. We talked about Waiting staying for on it. brand. <laughs> Waiting staying for on it. Brand. Boy, how long were you waiting to talk about the Panthers like that? Was that all summer? It, they just signed Mark Letestu to a PTO, which fine, okay, but he ain't they, making they, the team. But uh, not if you heard Bob Bugner talk about him, oh, who was saying he's a great power play option. Um, and what yeah. universe is that possible? I was he's excited to have him on the team. Is I what was, he I was saying good things about Bob Bugner. Jeez, now you're making it's, me feel bad about this. But like, here's the thing: it's Jamie McGinn's going to be on the team. Mark Letestu. 50% is going to be on the team. Troy Brower is 100% going to be on the team. Oh, you that, that's sign. a guarantee now. Okay. Michael Haley is going to be on the team. Not a guarantee. Hey. Before we go into the weeds for all this, let's start by talking about the bottom six because I think now this provides a good discussion into the bottom six and what it's going to actually look like because it's pretty safe to say we know what the top six is in some way, shape, or form. You can argue about combinations. And Bob Buchner has said the same himself. Yes, you can argue about combinations, but the bottom six is going to be what we're really talking about mostly. And right now, when you consider how many players could be playing in the bottom six this year, you have six spots plus two for extra forwards. That's eight. And we're talking 14 forwards, perhaps, are competing for those eight spots, it looks like. Something like that, at least. So a lot of competition. Now, competition is good. I like it. It means that no one's guaranteed a job. Now, it does mean that there's the potential that Michael Haley still plays. But I think that's less and less likely if you're signing Troy Brower, who is a better version of what Michael Haley is, minus the nonsense fighting. So, in terms of the bottom six, which is, I think, going to be the biggest camp discussion, because pretty much everything else is settled. You know what the top six is. Bob Bugner has already said as much about what he thinks is going to happen with the goalies. The question now is, does Petrovich get traded because they like Bogdan Kisilevich? He's obviously the other guy in the fold. So really the question is all about bottom six. And I guess as opposed to talking about who's playing on the second line next to Vincent Trocek, it's a better discussion to have. But let's go over some of these things. I think we might have talked a little bit about this when we went to our- Every year when we talk about it going into camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but again, if we're, if we're on the sliding scale of things that are worth talking about and not freaking out over, the bottom six is not as crazy to freak out about as opposed to... Really? Because they missed the playoffs by one point last year and they couldn't get anything 
from their bottom six. And because they couldn't get anything from their bottom six and their second line last year, which, hey, well, they has some of their players on it. Their but, yeah, but, yeah, Barkov was taxed down the down the year. Dadinov was taxed down the year. Hubert Trocek were taxed by the end of the year. I mean, again, this is the same thing I say every year. you got to start out hot. you got to play your young guys early. You can't rely on veterans because they suck. They, they're not good. They're not the good veterans. Just like their AHL team doesn't sign the top-tier veterans, the Florida Panthers do not sign the top-tier veterans of the NHL. They always get the second, the third-tier guys who are PTO guys anywhere else. Troy Browler is not getting a contract this late in the year from any other team besides, like, an Arizona or a Florida Panthers. Okay. It's ridiculous. Okay. There's how many other players? How many other players would so be what do players better than? So, what are you thinking about? What players are you are you considering in terms of for the better? bottom six? For the bottom six, Frank Vitrano, Jared McCann. I was talking more about what players of veterans that weren't on the team would you consider signing? Like, who is better than Troy Brower? Thomas Thomas Jerko's available. Nick Shore. Nick Shore is not is old, but he yeah, he's still at UFA. Like, wow. like, like, what do you like? I don't like. Okay, Latestu, PTO, fine. You get one of those every year, whatever. But it's not like they're, if they're not going to waive Rabada last year after how bad he was, they're not going to waive Troy Bauer. So you're Troy stuck Brown's with also making less money. We so. thought, we thought, we thought Jamie McGinn was going to be bought, bought out. They said they it didn't doesn't do look that. Like now, I still think he could be traded. Doesn't look like I still think he could be traded because... Yeah, um, there are going to be teams that need to make a cap. Panthers can barely trade their good players. How are they going to trade their bad players? Listen, somebody wanted to trade for Jamie McGinn last year. When they trade, they make but, trades in August and September. As many people on Twitter pointed out, they always trade for older or same age players. They so never get. My my question will be is how they deal with that. But whatever the case may be, I understand your concerns. I always have, and I would much rather them play young players than Troy Brower. The but thing is, after five years of it, when you keep missing by a little, when you, it's obvious what the issue is, and when you actually have the depth to do it, going into the going into the off season, after Mark Hoffman, they didn't have to add anyone at all up front. Maybe Mark Letestio on a PTO, but that's yeah. it. That's all they had to do. Well, and they here, here's still thing. decided. If, to add if, more. if if Troy Brower is replacing. Derek McKenzie and or Michael Haley both, then it's fine. Whether that is actually the but case then or not. You still have dead weight. Species. You just have better dead weight when you could have not had any dead weight and Jared McCann could have been your fourth line center. Troy Brower is not a center, so it, but it doesn't But Mark Letestu is. But if Mark Letestu gets signed and who knows whether he will or not, I'm going to take a guess and to say that the PTO means probably not because they didn't sign the players off of PTOs last year. But let's go over the entirety of this bottom six. If we Assume that the top six is guaranteed to be as it is. Okay. Start start from first. Let's start with Henrik Borgstrom. Assuming he's going to be the third-line center. Would be amazingly shocked if he started in the A. I think we can agree upon that, right? Oh, I think he's starting in the A. You do? Or I think he gets sent down to the A, or he gets pushed off to the side very early. I think it's if you listen to what Bugner's saying to Jameson Cooper – which is saying on the radio on the Big O show or whatever the heck it's called and stuff, you can tell. Jameson Cooper, he was tweeting it today. He was asking Bob Bugner if having guys like Borgstrom and Tippett who are younger and needing to make the playoffs and needing to have a good start off the year 
makes him want to play veterans instead. And he said, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's oh, This is what's going to happen. It happened last year. It's, it's why he went 30 games with Jamie McGinn dead weight on the second line. It's because those are the players he trusts early in the year because he thinks anyone under the age of, what, 22, 23, needs, the, needs time to get going needs time to figure it out and get in gear where veterans are always ready by day one because they know what to do in the offseason. This is, it's that mentality. This is Bob Bugner's mentality. However, last year there were camp surprises. Let's be fair. There were some players in camp that impressed him. Jared McCann was one of them, and he ended up playing more than we thought. Right, and it took him three quarters of the year to get that ice time, even after a great camp, even when he should have had it earlier on. It's it's a question I think that listen I I at this point I'm willing to give him some benefit of the doubt not all but some and I still think it's hard now Tippett's a different story because I don't think he could still go to the A can he because he's not no, twenty he so I don't know what they plan on I mean he's probably a healthy scratch most of the time which is stupid well see see and then this is like why is he a healthy scratch because. Somebody got cold feet and wanted Troy Brower because he well, was there. as I said, just so you playing, have playing, him. Playing Owen Tippett with Derek McKenzie and Michael Haley is stupid. But that's what's going to happen now. Look at the numbers. There's no way that prospects who should be better, prospects who should have X, Y, or Z ice time or be in this type of situation, won't get that experience this year be, again. Like, they should have got that experience last year. Because Bob Boogner is looking for experience. Not enough that he's still going back to the same well. That was the issue. They should have used last year. That's why all last year I was saying they should have paid more young players so this year they'd be ready. But no one listened to me. Everyone said I was complaining. And now here it is, Bob well, Boogner you're not, no, you're is asking. Right. You're right. Dale Talon, Bob Boogner, someone's asking for better experience because they didn't get it last year. They didn't get enough of it last year. Which is wrong. Which is but... no, because the veterans were the guys who let him down last year. Seemingly, uh, yeah, it was Evgeny Dadnov who's new to the NHL again, who was who was picking up the slack. It was Huberto, it was Barkov, it was guys that they still really don't trust. And, and, Morgan, and Morgan. yeah, it was it was Vetrano coming in. Mm-hmm. Who, yeah, Dale Talon, somebody made a good trade there, but you didn't you like know, that trade at the time, though. So, so because, I kind of laughed at that. I, but. No, I didn't like the trade because, I, like I said, where is the ice time? They keep having all these forwards, and all they do is keep. They keep adding all these forwards, having these young guys, and they keep playing the old vets. They keep adding the old vets. So my thing was, would they use Frank Vetrano this year? And I'm still, are they going to use Frank Vetrano this year? It's less likely every day. It is. I think that they could. Here's here's my question. Chris playing full line with with, uh, Troy Brower and Mark Letestu, that's like your best case scenario going into the year. Fourth line, let's be honest. But, here, but it's still, like, not good enough to make no, the playoffs. It's, it's not good well, enough to win a playoff it, round, it, which well, should well, be their goal. It should be. Again. But let's let's slow down. Slow down, Cowboy. Slow down. August I'm not the one that signed two 30-year-old vets in two weeks in August. I mean, let's be honest. Because they, they need to slow they, down. I mean, eh. I mean, they're getting slower. I mean, they're, well, they're getting older and slower. At least at least in the back, at least in that area, you can Future, that. Okay. He is so bright. Oh, oh boy. Too bright. We must get vets to, to, to put on to sunglasses. Okay. To shade us from success. Okay. So here's the ultimate question, as you said, because there's 15 plus 16 plus 17 
when you talk about Tippett, who's not listed on cap friendly, Latest, who's on a PTO, and all these other players, and there are a lot of them. Some of them that should be playing, and some of them, let's be honest, they're not going and to. Six, and the top six is already in there, so six out of your 14 starts. Six is five. guaranteed. You got eight left. So McKenzie, Haley, two, Brower, three. You're, okay. So you got five spots calm left. Calm down, Sparky, calm down. I don't necessarily think that McKenzie and Haley are guaranteed to play. Haley, certainly, I don't think is guaranteed to play. Now, no one if will claim him on waivers. the NHL roster, it's a waste of a space. We're going to talk they about. Him. I think they the next, when he goes to waivers and he goes to the A. That's what the I think next, happens at this well, point. Okay, and then we'll talk about that. The next thing we're going to talk about is how, even despite the good rankings from Corey Promen and the Athletic and the Sporting Network and some other places, how, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Wait, we are until, really in mid-season form. This is wonderful. And, you know, that it's, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. It's all on Borgstrom. It's all on this guy who's not even going to be a prospect in 15 games into the year. So don't get your your sights set on it. And the there's reason they're so the reason they're so thin in the prospects is because they do this kind of stuff. Because they stunt. It's arrested development. That's what it is in the AHL. It'd be get, getting guys from the into the AHL the ice time and then making the NHL transition and getting the ice time in the NHL. Arrested development, that little gap, that's where they have to f- fix. That's the, that's the biggest issue besides goaltending and health that's stopping them from succeeding and winning a playoff round. It's that. Look at, look at all the teams that win the cups. Look at their AHL, the couple teams the years before. Look at all the teams where they're, what age their prospects are making the transition. Capitals. Look at where, the Capitals who always play vets in the A, but regardless. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, but look at with the age that successful teams transition their prospects. Look at San Jose. They do it all really well. Have they? Anna. They're still kind of old. No, they're 20, 21, but they, they're old because they have really good AHL experience because at 18, they get top NHL experience for two years. 19, because they draft yours, bring them over, run them through their systems for two years, give them great exposure, give them responsibility, let them lead the team. And it's success. And we'll talk about, uh, and we can get into the prospect rankings because there is good things to talk about. The drafting's there. They have the drafting process down. It's that AHL to NHL transition they got to work on next. Okay. So, again. So, the ideal for the bottom six for me, the ideal would be looking something like on day one would be Borgstrom, Tippett, and Mulligan on the third line. And you know is going to play. I've got no issue with that. McCann and, let's say, Mammon. That would be your ideal, yeah? We could agree on that. Yeah, I mean, Vitrano's in there somewhere. Vitrano's an extra forward who you could play when someone gets injured because that's inevitably going to happen. And let's say that Mike Hoffman oh, yeah. has a bad stretch. You move Henrik Borgstrom up, you slide Mulligan over, and you're done. That's your problem solved. So yeah. that is ideal. Vitrano's an extra forward. And then Brower's next. I think forward. the problem is I think three of those people you just mentioned in your bottom six are going to be in the press box or ultimately in the AHL. Tippett is the biggest concern I have because I don't know what they're going to do with him, and I think it's going to be healthy scratch because they. We'll talk about that when we talk about prospects. Yes. What I think they should do with him and everything. And, and Morgan and Vitrano are kind of similar players. They've both been solid, but to say that they've been spectacular, they haven't been. But they both deserve to play. Their play at the end of last season 
So yeah, and I think Malgin is a winger. And yeah, I think he he's a winger at the NHL level now. And well, just but, because, well, he, he, uh, he if, is. if you if you're if you're put if your plan is to start Borgstrom as a center, yes. And I think that they have to start Borgstrom at center, and that's what they're probably. I would get. not, but that's a we can talk well, about that. I, well, who else is playing third line center? McCann, I guess, in that instance. No, I would have McCann as a fourth line center. So who's playing I, third line center in this in this example for you? I would have I would have Malgin play third line okay. center. Okay. Okay. I mean, again, but it, it, you as know, as long as they play, it's not the biggest deal in the world. So long as they play, and I think that on the third line, you're going to get more of the young players. Unless, I mean, as I say, unless somehow they don't trade Jamie McGinn and they feel like they're compelled to play him, which they probably will. But I still think there's a good chance that he gets traded because someone's going to need to make a cap floor. But it, it, it amazes me it. because Henry Capello played five games in the NHL or something last year and looked better than Jamie McGinn looked. Oh, like, I don't any. disagree with you. We had and, Jamie McGinn. You know, so, like, forever. Henry Capello is, like, he could probably play in the NHL as an extra all year and do way better than anybody else. But this is a team that cries fat, cries poor or, you know, they don't spend – or they're they spent you know, now. Let's but now, but they now they're now. <laughs> but now they're just throwing money into stupid places. I mean, this well, is not bowling. Spending stupid. a lot of money into stupid places. Eight hundred thousand guaranteed to Troy Brown. That's for, not the worst contract the Panthers have ever given out. Let's be fair. But that's not that's not the bar. The bar no, is no. The bar is really much higher. If through you could have used eight hundred thousand on Nick Shore. You could have used eight hundred thousand on Thomas Jerko or somebody. But I don't even think that they necessarily could have used eight hundred thousand on a. Could have, yeah, you could have used eight hundred thousand on a unsigned college free agent or a guy from the WHL who looks really good on uh, what you call it uh, on the fancy computer numbers. Yeah, you, know? you could definitely do that. But here, but here's where I here's where I say, quite well, and then. We're going to pause a little bit to reset our... We're going to cut for a commercial. Cut for a commercial break. Uh, the fourth thing that I'm going to say is these are not long-term deals. They all expire after this year. And so I think the odds of any of them getting re-signed by the end of this year are nil. It's zero. Like, they're all going to leave. McKenzie's going to retire. You said then, this last year. You said this at this time last year well, about McKin, problem, about Haley. You said they wouldn't be here by camp next year. They said you'd they'd be Well, they, no, they got hurt. two-year deals. I said the likelihood is that they're not, but now they like, have another year. This year, I, this year I'm saying going into next offseason, they're going to re-sign hopefully none of them. But we're going to have to see, obviously, because they, they continue to prove me wrong all the time, which annoys me. But we can see that, at least with these one-year deals, they are much, much, much more willing to let them go after the financial commitments are over, even if they're giving them two – like, Jamie McGinn had two years left. He gave Haley a two-year deal, which we all knew at the time was dumb. But at least at least at now, I could say all of them are probably not here next year. They at least are more willing to walk away from some of those players than we thought. And as you look into next season, when the cap could go up, they still have $16 million something in cap space, with the biggest questions being Caution Weger and Frank Petrano and Dennis Mulgan. And those are not very big questions to ask. Yeah. I so, mean, all, all I'm saying is, for somebody who you are not for somebody who starts every August with the same warnings, with the same say, hey, I have concerns about X, Y, and Z, about this process, let's change it. Let's raise the flag before the season starts or before we get too far in. That's all I'm doing again because I, I, I bet wrong. you. I don't think I, you're wrong. I bet you they're going to have a tough start or, you know, if, if, if 
things are going as they've gone before, they're going to have a rough start. And it's going to be last year. And yeah, and this is going to be a year where they need to make the playoffs and they not only need to make the playoffs, they have to win two, three games at least. They have to be competitive in the playoffs, if not win it. They will be if they get there. I don't think that's going to be an issue. Right. Yes. And I agree with that. But you know, you got to get there. And you can't throw away games in October and November like they do the every season. They don't have many games in October and early November because their schedule plays out like this. So if they figure themselves out in November, they'll have more games. But the, the early travel and everything, yeah. the less games, that could make it take a while. I mean, you don't know. You, you don't know. And I wish that they trusted young skill over Well, over I, just I will say played. Troy Brower is better than Derek McKenzie and Michael Haley. At least we're and Mark Tattoo is too. But and that's because I, we scale, say but at least we'd say better. that they were probably bottom five. Both of those guys are bottom five NHL players. Oh yeah. So that's I mean that's the only I, reason. And I high bar to clear. So one second while we regroup and we all cool down, and then we're going to talk more specifically about what we actually think the bottom six looks like come day one and prospects because it's not all bad. Back from our quick Tommy Kulikowski needs to calm down about the bottom six uh, little wait. But let's switch gears to prospects. We'll get back to the bottom six when we talk about where we think all these players could fit in. Uh, prospect time. August is a good time to read prospect rankings because there's not a lot of change in the prospect pools around this time. And you can be reading some of them and you see the Panthers are fairly high up on the rankings. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Henrik Borgstrom is still considered a prospect, which I guess he is because he hasn't really played a ton in NHL yet. But if you take him out, the Panthers are not necessarily top 10, more middle of the pack. But we can be optimistic because the Panthers' drafting process is definitely better than it was. We've talked about that the last two years. And an identifiable draft process that everybody likes and gets behind. And so in terms of prospect rankings, you can read a bunch of them, but the, really the only one you should be paying attention to is Tommy Kulikowski's because <laughs> he, he pays attention to this unlike any other human being, other than maybe Corey Promen and Jeff Merrick. But in terms of the players that everybody's going to know, I mean, everybody's going to know Hemponiemi. Everybody's going to know about uh, Grigory Denisenko. I think I would tip it still more of a prospect than uh, Henrik Borgstrom is. So we're going to start with the dose of realism about the pool. It's not incredibly deep. We're not talking early 2010s Panthers prospect pool when they were really deep. Uh, but we're also not talking the last couple of years when they had really no depth at all. Somewhere in the middle. So, The Athletic and Promen had um, nine. The Sporting News had um, eight. I haven't seen them further than like 12 or 13. Uh, a lot of it is based off just the top 10, and that really helps the Panthers because a lot of them can't even get past 14 or 15 when they're talking about prospects and systems, but then you look at the other teams and they're getting the 20, sometimes 23, 24. Uh, so that just speaks to the thinness. Uh, Pronman noted that Florida is one of the thinnest systems in the NHL in terms of depth and tied for second worst in amount of players he considered NHL prospects. That's a direct quote from him. So even though he has a ninth overall. This is not deniable because, of course, they've had, what, five picks in 2017 and six in 2018? Well, they've also, the picks, they've made a lot of picks that they haven't had. Lawson Krause is a first-round pick that they've made that 
isn't there anymore. Adam Mashrin's a second round pick, 31st or like 33rd or whatever overall. Not there anymore. And not there anymore. And, you know, um, that, that hurts you. And then they've also had a really bad AHL team and a really bad, you know, development process. Um, whether it's because of the people, the development department, whether, it be whether it's of- front office, whether it's scouting, whether it's coaching, we don't, it's hard to tell from where we are. It's uh, we have ideas like a mix of all of them. Yeah, but yeah. we can say this: at least for the last two years, the drafting has gotten better. The drafting process is an identifiable one. We talked about it with our draft prospect uh, podcast from June. Hopefully, you could still find it because there's weird things going on with that. We'll talk about them more at the end of the show. But they have an identifiable process. Chris Pronger said at the draft they got what was it four of their top fifty players on their board. So it's clear that they're targeting players and they're getting players that they want. And it's players that we can, from the outside, say, all right, these guys are good. We said that about Denisenko. And they also drafted what seems to be a pretty big gem in Alexi Hemponiemi in the second round of 2017. So there there is progress there. But because they don't spend a lot of contracts on two-way players, that's just how they run their organization. And because they've had only 11 draft picks in the last two years – and you consider that two of your big players from 2015 and 2016 are no longer on the uh, prospect pool, they're no longer in your system, you're going to have a really thin system. And it's going to take multiple drafts to replenish it. And they also don't sign a ton of free agents from Canadian Junior or college. That's not right. what they've put. They've, now, they have signed more, there's, let's be fair. And, and It's not as yeah. many. There's some other things that, you know, you look at their system, there's a lot of wingers in there. Um, there's a lot of risk in there. Uh, you know, Hutsko, who I have is like their sixth best prospect. That seems to be somewhat of a consens- consensus. He's got a lot of injury history. He's a later draft pick. Uh, so you don't know how that's going to work out. There's more risk there. Then there's, you know, I think that there's a lot of risk in Max Gilding, their best defensive prospect, and Owen Tippett, who's considered one of their better prospects. Same with Borgstrom, Heponiemi, Denisenko. A lot of their profile is high skill with a decent amount of risk for one reason or another. Uh, and then, you know, they're lacking goalies. Uh, they're lacking defensemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like things that they could do better, things they need to keep focus on and not just get complacent is, uh, like you said, keep the drafting. They're coming out with drafts where they're getting three or four people they're really excited about. Keep that up. Keep that consistent because that was like a once in a blue moon thing prior uh fill in some of the positional gaps and not just in the draft because you don't just want to draft for position but uh we talked about undrafted ufas undrafted guys from college juniors i mean um euros they've done a lot of recently keep doing more of that and then of course trades i think the thing that they need to do more of is trading for other people's prospects that have for whatever reason fallen out of favor or get lost in a numbers game elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the get final thing we talked about. Yeah, right. And then, you know, the final thing is make use of the prospects they have in their system now. I know it's thin, but I think they have at least 10 worthwhile prospects. You could probably argue a few more mm-hmm. uh, that they need to get something out of. Still make them NHLers, or if not NHLers, make them good AHL players that rise Springfield up the standings. At least I mean, to make the playoffs. Get something out of them. I'm not saying you have to get 40 points in the NHL out of them, but you have to get something out of them uh, because you have to break the cycle of having bad NHL teams and bad AHL teams, and it's got to start somewhere. 
Okay, so let's go quickly. I think we all kind of know a lot about Tippett and Borgstrom. We talked about them as they should be NHL players this year. There's well, no doubt about that. But the, also the question with Tippett I think we should get into more is because he is from the junior system, he can't play into the AHL until he's 20. And he doesn't turn 20, I believe, until what, February? Yeah, so he so really can't. Not sending him back to you're obviously not sending him back to junior because there's no point in that. And you can't send him to the A, so you need to play him. But we fear he's going to be healthy scratched. But hopefully he has a good camp. What they should do is get him a work permit in Switzerland or something and send him over there. I mean, it's not a terrible idea if you don't think he's ready for the NHL this year and you don't want to wait until February to put him in the AHL, which is where he really should be. But, I mean, Probably. That, yeah. it's, it's, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to make that 14 group of forwards just because of the paper transactions that they can't do otherwise. Now, I hope he plays. Here's my, here's my thing. One question on Tippett. He has to improve. I think we heard he had to improve defensively. You know he has a shot. That's what he was drafted for. He has a crazy good shot. He yeah. has, he has a hard and he has a good OHL junior shot. I, he's not, I don't think it's diverse enough to be a good pro shot yet. But he's also only 19. It's going to take time. And you draft him for sense. the potential upside. And that's what, I mean, again, as opposed to drafting safe players, which is what the Panthers used to do for millennia, now they draft players with a lot of upside. That's at right. least a positive change. And right, tip but it, you got to diversify that a little bit. Well, of course they do, but I mean. Yeah, especially when you, when you have only 10, you know, like when you're really thin, you can't have it all, you know, low odds picks, cause then you're only gonna be hitting on low odds of them. Yes, but, but for when you're trying to rebuild your system, it's okay to have that at the top. So, for Tippett, he played last year with Mississauga, I think they were eliminated in the first round of the OHL playoffs, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they did not have a good year. No, they didn't, and Tippett had an up and down year. Yeah. I think is what it was, but he he barely played when he was with the Panthers. Yeah. They didn't really do that very well. This year, you hope that they make better decisions. I I hope that he plays. The only way he can learn is by playing. And if you have to play him a lot until February, and then you say him to the A, that's fine. I don't have any problem because he's going to learn by playing, and right. he's not going to learn by playing with Derek McKenzie and Michael Haley. If you play him on our ideal third line of Borgstrom, Malgin, and Tippett. That's a very high offense line, not a lot of defense, but you can use him in specialized situations, right? You can use him in specific situations where you can have whatever fourth line you put together in more defensive cases, and you can ride the top. <laughs> but you can't, you can't, you can't when it's Troy Brower, Mark Pesty, well, Derek uh, McCann. Well, no, if it's, if it's Troy Brower, Jared McCann, and Colton Sevier, you can play that a little bit more. But for the sake of argument, uh, in terms of, I think Borgstrom's more known, and I don't think there's any way he doesn't well, make the open I mean, that roster. But well, well, let's let's talk. I I think there's three groups. I'll just do my top ten. You know, yeah. one, two, three is Borgstrom, Hepo, Niemi, Denisenko. I think those are the those are the best prospects in the system. I think if you look at Hepo Niemi, uh, you can worry about the size, and obviously it'll be really interesting to see what he does playing in a professional league back in Europe coming from the WHL. I mean, he but was one of the best players in all yeah, of junior hockey you can't, last year. You can't look at his numbers, and you can't look at his actual skill set and say anything but he's right after Bjorkstrom. Uh, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree. I mean, he literally think, got his line mates, who were Glenn Gadwin and Tyler Steenberg, in contracts. Right. And, and that's and how good he was. 
and this is something I I before the draft, before him or Tippett were Panthers, I had why hockey had Hepo Niemi ranked higher than Tippett. Uh, so that's consistent uh, with it's not out of the blue or anything. This is consistent with you know what we've been thinking about we Dennis Sanko. Euro snob, but that's but that's just yeah, <laughs> it's fine. But it, Dennis Sanko, I. I you know, I was really high on him. That's one of the ones I wanted targeted with that pick. I wanted the Panthers to target with that pick. They did. Uh, I think he has a lot of uh, ability to add a lot of elements to his game, kind of like Huberto has over the years. I see a similar path. I see a similar um, ability and style. He is your Evgeny Dadnoff replacement in an ideal world. Yeah, hopefully. That would be, that'd be fantastic. He, that'd be, he'd do a lot of everything. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to be an NHL player at the end of the day. I don't think there's a lot of risk there just with his ability, uh, I think, to play more of a North American-style game than other Europeans. Mm-hmm. I have Tippett at four. The biggest thing that I've always had with Tippett is I don't think he's has the IQ uh, or the game to play off the puck well. If he doesn't have the puck, I don't think he can contribute, and I think it's really hard to get uh, enough value out of somebody who's ranked 10th overall to do that unless they can s- score like Phil Kessel. So that's the big thing. Can he score? I think it's better to keep him in lower leagues and and, and keep him scoring than to have him go a year where he doesn't hit fill the net 30 times. You know, I think it's that's how I would that's judge it. Question for me, if you, you, you got to get him 30 goals. You got to get him 30 goals. So or if it's in the NHL, then, you got to get him 20 goals or 18 goals. You got to be at a close to 20. So in a way, then, like he could go back to junior. He's he's allowed to have another he, overage year. Right. Yeah. It I mean, would I, help it wouldn't him. be it wouldn't be the worst thing because he'd get to go to the World Junior Championship. If he's in the NHL, he probably won't unless uh, the Panthers send him back. Panthers, but I think the Panthers would. Play I'm him. hoping I'm hoping he wouldn't be sent back because he's playing, and yeah. that's that's my hope. Yeah, I think we could see that, but listen, if he ends up in the OHL, plays in World Juniors, and then they call him up, say, in February or something like that, yeah. and, and they could send him to the A, I mean, the OHL teams would hate that, but it might make sense to do something of that nature. Or, he plays an OHL season, he will end up going to a really good team, a team that's going right. to try to go to the Memorial Cup, and then after that's done, you have him go, or if his team gets eliminated early, you have him play in the AHL, and that's fine. Like, that's a, a reasonable situation. I still think that he can make it. And if he has a good camp, I don't think the Panthers would have any right. problems having him make it. They would want it. But you gotta he's a bigger, right. you have he's to a bigger question than Borgstrom, no doubt about that. And Borgstrom, yes, he's guaranteed I think guaranteed Borgstrom is locked top nine minutes. Has oh, to goodness. He's I mean, too old. He's too good. It, you you got mean, it. I saw how he played in the games that he played in. He was Correct. that Boston game at the end of the year when the Bruins needed to win to win the Atlantic Division. He was all over the place and yeah. dominant. And I know that's small sample size and everything, but he proved it at the college level for two years. He also uh, proved it in those games where he was playing. He thinks the game really quickly. And after Tippett, uh, I think with this group, this is all guys who are really good um, talent and they have really good potential, but there's a lot of risk there. So Tippett, Max Gildan, uh, a yeah, lot of that has... Of Saron Noel. I'm, I'm not oh, yeah, I, I, that, but... I mean... The, let me address the bias. Max Gildan played at UNH. I got to see him a lot this year. <laughs> of course, he but did. he was, but he was also a defenseman I liked 
when he, he, I mean, a lot of player, a lot of scouts really liked him when he was 16, 17, and then his draft plus one year, he fell off at the beginning of it. He didn't have as great of a year as many thought. Um, and but his skating's that good. His offense is that good. And if he can, he's the only Panthers defenseman you can see playing in the top four in the NHL that isn't already in the NHL for the Panthers. True. So this is the best guy. And I think he has what it takes to develop a defensive game. He has the IQ, and I think he has the willingness and the desire to add it to his game, from what I've seen. So, and I, I, so I think he's the next best one. I actually even have Logan Husko over Sarah Noel, uh, if, if only because I think his issue is just staying healthy, and that's something that is or isn't going to happen. And it's not a skill that he has to work on or make better. I think Noel uh, does a lot of things really good and things that the Panthers needed to add to their system. But I think there's more risk involved that he will round out the other parts of his game. But I think, what you know, Gildan, Husko. Uh, yeah, John. Okay. So he should be in consideration for World Junior this year, you would think, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I think so. And, um, you know, I think. Any Gildan, Husko, Noel, you could put them in any order. There's a reasonable argument for anybody. And you could probably, you know, just like everything, I just try to tier it. Mm-hmm. But everything in, in, within the tiers is pretty uh, similar. Okay. To finish it off, 8, 9, 10, I have Jonathan Ang, Samuel Matembo, and Bikoff, Patrick Bikoff. Yeah, uh, I think that's, the, that's their WHL signing from last year. Yeah, and... You know, he's a little older, but he, I think he has the scoring at the WHL level through the years. It's not just his last year. Like a lot of guys, all of a sudden they're the big fish, you know, in a small pond and juniors because they're 22, put up a bunch of numbers. He's put up pretty good numbers all the way through. points last year with Everett in 72. And uh, he does. 22 more than the last one, and he also had 23 points in the playoffs for Everett too. I think it's kind of he. I think he's a better Maxim Maxim Mamen. Uh, if I, I don't like to do comparisons too much, but you know, for anybody who's never seen this guy play, it's he plays the game like Maxim Mamen, but he's got a lot better hands and a lot better finishing ability. It's a skilled fourth liner, tweener kind of yeah. player, I think is what so, you're saying. Yeah, maybe he'll be a call up. Maybe he'll be an extra body in the NHL one day. That's how thin the Panthers' prospect pool is. By ten, I'm picking between a bunch of guys who maybe are career AHL players, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, and Pronman, uh couldn't even get past 14. Uh, Matembo was his last one at 14. And, uh, you know, Sporting News only did 10, so they stopped at 10. But Sporting News had, you know, Ryan Bednar as 10 in goalie and Montembo at, like, 7 and a couple defensemen who, you know, weren't on a lot of other people's lists up there high. So those that list was really weird. Try to ignore it, but Pronman, you know, his are a bunch of forwards. Uh, you know, it's behind focusing on forwards the last two years at the draft, and I think the next year's draft looks deeper. At least it's not nearly. I mean, hopefully they'll be drafting in like the end of the teens and early twenties, as opposed to where they've been drafting recently. But you know, they also traded away a second and a third, so you hope they replenish some of those picks. And that's one of the things we always talk about with these extra forwards. If you're not going to use them, we're not talking like Troy Browers. We're talking some of these other forwards. You could trade them and get draft picks for them, and that's what you want to try to oh. do. 
They have never been able to do it, but hopefully well, they I do. think they could try to because they've been willing. I mean, we like... They keep falling into the same the pattern. Yeah, yeah, well, if you like... For, let's, let's be honest here. If they, if Troy Brower doesn't work out, you could put him on waivers and some team will claim him. Probably. You said that about Verbata and they just well, no, stuck Verbata, him in. Well, Verbata was never going to happen because Verbata was old and bad and doesn't play well outside of Arizona. I think Troy Brower is different because he could actually He's come in and play. old and line. bad? Well, no. Troy Brower is not that old. 33 is not terribly old. And also, $800,000 for, for physical bottom six grinders who've played me, a lot of let hockey. Me explain, let me explain. Okay. Let me finish old. the thought. There is going to be another team out there that will probably claim him. I don't see a way that he doesn't get claimed. Someone you know who I would have him. liked instead of Troy Brower? Daniel Winnick. He's still Yeah, available. yeah, I could definitely see. The reason, why, been... the reason why is Dale Talanoza from Chicago. Let's just say it now. But, yeah. okay, so. Which Dale Talon knew. Hey, Dale Talon has sure. to hire his guy. Dale Talon has to give one call to his old friends. But if that's the biggest mistake that he's making, better than that's not, in the That's past. not the biggest mistake he's making. The biggest mistake he's making is uh, some of the coaching decisions that weren't done. But well, that's okay, story. that's another story for another podcast. So, in terms of just where we sit right now in terms of those forwards, you have – the 15 that you see on cap friendly with test two, you have Owen Tippett's obviously going to be there. And then other guys that are going to yeah, like 18. You're up to like something like that, but 18 that of, are like legit NHL contract contenders. And then you probably have about five guys, six guys after that who are who like, starting in the A, but who are going to, yeah, but who are going to be in NHL camp. And if they get hot, they have just as much claim as anybody else. Like Sebastian apparently. Repo and Hoppolo, they could also yeah. do that. that, that yeah. Plenty of that. So in terms of how you think it's going to end up, I said what the ideal top 12 looks like. I mean, I don't even know if we want to say the ideal because it probably, uh, or what we think is going to happen because it might have Jamie McGinn in it. Now we'll, we'll we will see. I still think Jamie McGinn gets traded because the Devils and the Hurricanes need to make the cap floor in some way, and that's an easy way to do it. And Jamie McGinn could provide an NHL body, particularly if you're the Hurricanes. I think that they might end up having to do that on other teams too. But even if the case may be, uh, I think that if they can find a way to balance like the Troy Browers of the world, but also like getting them in. Like Troy Brower is fine if you're going to healthy scratch him for 30 games. And you're gonna play back to me. I don't oh necessarily. Oh my gosh! They could have. They could have just like put like Hoppolo there or Mammon and just like they, listen, you know, like it's just so annoying. I I'm going to Every say this. It's not the as I said, he's better than Haley and McKenzie. But that's about that's about all I'm gonna say. How about we talk about some Bob Boogner comments that were not I like veterans. How about that? I was listening to NHL Network Radio when they did their Panthers sure. preview, and Bob Boogner was talking a couple of things that I think we should mention before we switch gears to a few other topics hockey-related. He talked about Roberto Luongo and how much he was going to play, and he said the ideal number was 50, and that was a wow. number what I wrote for... Wow. Uh, why are they, well, the ideal number is 50, and let me explain That's to you why I think the ideal point. number is 50. Because the Panthers have 17 back-to-backs. You are not playing Roberto Luongo in back-to-backs, obviously. 50 means that the likelihood of injury is less. Yes? Because the whole goal is to have Roberto Luongo. I think the, the I think. The whole goal you, is to have him Have you seen his game played the last two years? 50 is very optimistic. You think, I think, I'm not saying he's going to play 50. Optimist. I'm saying the goal is to have him play 50. If he plays 50 games, 
and Reimer plays whatever number it is with Hutchinson in the back, whatever the hell may be. You talk about him playing 50. That's a good workload for him. He won't play any back-to-backs, obviously. And if he's 50, he could be fresh because he's going to be 40 at age when the playoffs start. Which you is know, the most amount of games he's played in one season in the last two 15, seasons. 2015-16. But there have been injuries. And you have to account for injuries, but I'm also accounting Exca- for injuries. I'm accounting for injuries with, you know, that, you know, at his age, they don't go away. It's not poof. It's no. They lead to more injuries. And that's why I'm thinking That's why 50, I'm thinking they're going to try to do as much. Like, the start of the season, they play in Tampa, and then they don't play again for another four days. That helps. Like, are we going to see, like, Luongo play the first two, and then James Reimer play the Saturday against Detroit or something like that. That's something they're going to have to do. And I think it's okay that they do this because, for now, you want to make sure that he's as healthy as he could possibly be. He shouldn't play a lick in the preseason. You don't need to see anything from Luongo. You know he's healthy. One of his comments that he made, Luongo did, when it was, I think it was at the NHL Awards and talking about how, by February, the injury was getting him really down, and he thought he was going to retire, and he thought it was over. And... Playing towards the end of the season. What? They got no goalie. They had, yeah. Well, if that happens, they have no goalie. But didn't happen because he played really well down the stretch, and he stayed healthy after he got back from injury. You hope that that could happen again. I don't think so. But I'm expecting, as I said, 50 games for Luongo is a goal that can be reached. It's not necessarily what's going to happen, but it can be reached. And if you can get 50 games of Luongo playing solid as he did last year, you can't expect that. But if he plays That's 100 like that, points. Yeah. I mean, it's not – if you could expect that, get something like that from Luongo for 50 games and he stays largely healthy, enough so when you have him in the playoffs, if and when the Panthers make it, he's in good shape. Because if Luongo could play like he did towards the end of last season where he was stopping everything – Pretty much, right? If you can have that Luongo in the playoffs, the Panthers can win any series because he can steal one. So that's what I think the goal is, is to have him as healthy as he could possibly be for the postseason. Here's, and here's the issue. He is okay as a they? Here's the thing. They need to start off hot. They have to have a – it's imperative that they at least stay 500 through the first quarter of the season. Imperative. If not above 500, if not 560, 580. You know, they got to be good. Uh, at the beginning of the year. And does that mean that they're going to overplay Luongo at the beginning of the year, hurt him? Does that mean that because they're trying to get 50 games out of him, that they're going to slow play him in the beginning and we're going to get a lot of Reimer, we're going to pick up a lot of W's, we're going to pick up a lot of L's on the back of Reimer, which, you know, you know how I feel about it. I won't get into it again, but that's that's the issue I have is how it's nice to say we want Luongo for 50 games. To me, that's that's – that's corporate speak, that's bullshit, that's not really what the actual plan is. Because if you're looking at the fact that he's played 75 games in the last two years, you're not asking for 50 this year. You're asking for 40, and you're telling people you're hoping for 50. But I'm sure that they they, they have to have some backup plans, of like how we're going to rotate Hutchinson in, how we're going to get Montembeau's games. Like they, they have to really figure out this goalie thing because how they play it this year, is really going to make a huge difference to not only this year, but the next couple of years because, you know, they have to handle this transition. And it's happening now before our eyes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to say that they're doing it wrong or right or whatever, but I have concerns that they're not seeing the urgency uh, and they're not taking 
it's seriously that they need as many ch- chances for their next goal. Okay, I, I, I think so. We'll see how it plays out over the year. Better towards the end of the year when he did play Springfield right. last year, he did play right. better. So right. you obviously and, hope that he starts. And there's also the potential that they keep Hutchinson on the NHL roster throughout the year. That means you're going to have even less forwards. Which means you have less forwards in D. So I'm really interested to see how that works out because he's on a one-way deal. And I figure Hutchinson probably gets claimed on waivers too. Less likely than some other players. But let's talk about the, let's quickly talk about the schedule with regards to the goalies first. They, again, their first game's against Tampa. Then they don't play again until Thursday. So you can do Luongo in both of those games because of the, because of the run-up time. Now, are you starting Reimer against Vancouver that Saturday? I mean, Luongo's been yes, honored for absolutely. a thousand games. I'm probably starting him. You have to say, then they play Philly on Tuesday. You could play Luongo in that game. That's fine. But then they have a back-to-back. Washington at Washington, Detroit. Obviously, you're only playing Luongo in one of them. You're playing Luongo probably against. I would play. I would play Reimer versus Philly. Luongo early season against Philadelphia typically does not do very well. I'm usually at that game, so I might be at that game too. Actually, it's it's usually it's either whether he plays good, the defense doesn't, or he doesn't play good, and the defense does. I don't like games. I don't like games at Wells Fargo Center for Tampa. They don't really don't end well. But then they play Washington and Detroit back to back. You're obviously playing Luongo in only one of them. I would presume yeah. you play them against the Capitals because it's the Capitals. Then they go on the road for Rangers Islanders back to back. You play Luongo. For, I mean, you could play Reimer honestly in both of them because both of those teams are bad. But they'll play Luongo in one or the other. Then they've got two days off before an afternoon game against New Jersey, and then they go to Finland. So if they play this Luongo is... in say four of them and Reimer in the other five, the schedule isn't exactly brutal because you're playing four teams that are actually not very good, and then the other four who you're like okay. They could probably win one of these games or steal one of them without, you know, with with Reimer in. You know what I mean? So right. like this is going to be huge for Bob Bugner. I mean, you can't go too deep into Bob Bugner's career and then dump him on the curb, waiting for a taxi and switch to somebody else after giving you know five years into a system. So for me, I need to see that he's got the strate- the strategy. He's got the ability to work around this Finland trip, to work around all these log jams at Fords with a and lot of to, enticing young to, guys. And, how do you rotate yeah. players in on back-to-backs? How do you, How is he going to do this? How is he going to manage all this? Because in my eyes, if he, if he fumbles out of the gate again and they're one of the worst teams in the NHL halfway through the season like they were last year, that means his job's done. He's not getting invited back next year. That's how I would because you can't keep missing the playoffs with this core and you can't keep spending time teaching a system that might not be the one you play in the playoffs whenever you get there. So, you know, I think this is, I I, I think he's shown an issue with some of his mentality that he's still got too much of the sandpaper mentality, that he's still too heavy on veterans. He still thinks you need, you need game experience and you need that on the ice, not just in the room, not just in the coaching staff, not just in the front office. You need that on the ice a lot. You need to play McKenzie in big situations. You need to be able to do that. Um, he's got to balance that with some forward-thinking techno- uh with some progressive uh, thoughts on how to keep a team fresh through an 82-game schedule, how to utilize this lineup where he's got so many NHL-level forwards. Can he figure out a rotation that keeps them all hot, keeps their all their legs fresh, and keeps them all in sync? Can he do that? If he does, if he can figure out these new ways, 
it'll probably balance out the other stuff and help the Panthers take the next step. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you have a low number of contracts, when you have a low number of prospects, when you have a bad AHL team, when your pay payroll is, I don't know how it's going to shake out. Obviously, you can't even try to project it until you see the final thing. Yes. Um, but it's it's a they run their cap very differently. They're already trying to do things on margins or do things differently. How can they keep that going? Because that's where they're going to make their progress because they're not going to overspend it like Toronto, how they they fix the rebuild by overspending, by dumping a bunch of money in analytics people, hiring a bunch of people, by hiring a, a, a bunch of people for all their ECHL teams or AHL teams for junior scouting. They just dump money everywhere. That's what big money teams do. How can Florida beat that? How can they find an advantage? Uh, Vancouver did a lot of studies when um, sleep when they were doing good with sleep and travel and stuff to make use of the fact that they were in the Pacific Division and traveling a lot. Okay. How could they find the games? Well, also, I want to get they got to do schedule. something. I want to get another schedule thing in because I want to talk about sure. November for a second. Sure. They had the two games in Finland on the first and and the second. You presume again, Luongo plays one, Reimer plays the other. Then they don't play again until Thursday, which is eight uh, six days off when they play Edmonton. But then. Right. Through the rest of the month, they are playing every other day except for one back-to-back where they've got at Carolina versus Chicago. So, again, they're talking about starting fast. That's where how do you balance? You've got a six-game road trip in the midst of that. You're not going up and down, you know, crisscrossing North America, but we're talking, you know, six-game road trip in the middle of November. Like Last year, the Panthers, by the end of the year, had figured it out. They knew what they wanted to do, and they played really well, particularly at home. That's where they were really, really good. They had some hiccups at home, because everyone does, but they were great at home ice. They pretty much won every single game they had to win at home, including in that last four-game stretch when their schedule was crazy and they won them all anyway. So now you look at that and you see, okay, well, where can they get a break in the schedule? It doesn't come in November. It comes really with the fact that they don't play a ton of games in October, and that's where you start with everything. And I, I talked about the game when the schedule was released, the one that I'm most interested in, which is the 15th, Hockey Night in Canada against the Leafs, because that's the one where the Panthers can prove to everyone and themselves that they can compete in the Atlantic Division, and I think on paper they can. But it's it's a matter of balancing the schedule. It's a balance of battling everything. And I think they can do it. I think Bob Bugner proved last year he learned some things by the end of the year. You just hope that it carries over into this year. You hope that it carries over into October. And I, I'm going to say that the benefit of the doubt infers to me that it could happen, but will it? We, we have to say. I also want to talk about one other comment Bob Bugner made before we get to some other things briefly before we wrap this show up. The first thing was on how you play the top six, because we know who the forwards are in the top six. It's just a matter of how they're going to uh, play them. And what he said on NHL Network Radio, whether this happens or not remains to be seen, but he said... At this point, he would think that he's going to keep Bugstad, Barkoff, and Dadenoff together and play one of Hubert or Hoffman on their off wings. I think to start the season, that's not a bad idea because you know you already have the built-in chemistry with that top three group, which was so good by the end of last season. It was absolutely dominant. They would cycle the puck and destroy people and destroy their souls. I think it's okay having one of Hoffman or Hubert play on their off wing to start, but you know he's not at all averse to tinkering with the forwards and making changes. He made a billion of them last year. I think he would be absolutely willing to tinker that if he had to, but I think that's how they're going to start the season. 
with one of Hoffman right. or Huberto playing on their off wing, which is fine to start. And if it works, yep. you keep it rolling. I've come to accept it. I know you don't like it, but I don't think it's a horrible way to I don't, start the season. It's like my third, fourth option. Yeah. Listen. But, but I, it's I, fine. In, in, in I just end, think that Borgstrom needs it. I think I I would put Borgstrom second line wing. But that's I me. Think that, I think that Borgstrom that's will me. get there eventually. Like the second change, the first change they make is swapping uh, Bugstad back to the second line with Huberto. That's the first change that they'll make. The second change that they'll make is moving up Borgstrom. And I think it's going to happen at some point in the season. Because Bob Bugner always tinkers with lines. I think it's going to happen at some point, right? He's going to be a second line winger at some point in the season, but I don't think he starts there. As long once he gets his feet under him and he plays, we didn't see Borgstrom when he was with a fully healthy Panthers lineup last year. Because when he played, Barkov was already out and the season was pretty much over. So when we see that, I think that you will see Borgstrom as a second-line winger at some point this year. Just don't think it's going to start off like that, necessarily. But, again, Bugstad, Barkov, Dadanoff last year, when it was formed to the end of the season, was crazy dominant. And Trocek, Huberto, and Hoffman should be pretty dang good, too. Don't think there's any reason to think that that is not a really, really good top six and one of the best top six you could put out in the league. Now, that's just in terms of talent, not necessarily maybe deploying it, but... I think deployment. No, here's Bob Mugner can change the forwards, and he's done it. So I'm expecting that to but happen. But how 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 much ice time does each line? Like you know, Markov had the second most minutes for forwards last year, and Trocheck was fifth. Fifth. Trocheck was fifth. So, so I but, think that he's going to try to. That's a re- that's a regret that Bob Mugner said that he played them too much. So how is he going to balance it if he has a very top heavy top six, which it looks like he's going to do it again? And if you have Trocek and Huberto on one line and Barkov on another line, both of those two lines need close to 20 minutes every night. That's 40 minutes. That's that's killing your bottom six. So he's kind of saying one thing, I wish I didn't do this last year. I think it cost us. And he's setting himself up with the way he's setting up the, the camp with the veterans in the bottom six that maybe won't have the legs, won't have the skill, won't have the offense to – be on the ice enough to give the top six rest. And then, you know, on the other side of his mouth, he's saying, I, I need to give these guys breaks. I need to give Barkov breaks so he doesn't have to score all the goals. I have to give Trocek breaks so he doesn't have to kill all the penalties and block all the shots. I have to, you know, do this and that. Um, and that's something he's, he's going to need to balance. It out. I think he's trying to figure it out because last year he right. realized and, he had and, you know, he'll have, he'll have 20 games or, you know, 20-odd games a month or something to really put in the pattern for me to really yell at him. But so far, everything sounds more like a repeat of last year's beginning of the season where it took him forever to take Jamie McGinn off the second line and Rabada off the second line because he really wanted to make it work and he thought he needed the veterans up top. And but the thing that going to take forever to is he has the decisions pretty much. The difference is he has the decisions basically made for him now. Like he has top six, he has more than enough players who can play in the top six. Right, and he but like those decisions. As I said, I don't, he, he will again with the forward. Look at the, look at the, how long look at the third line that we we put together. Right, unless they're going to put Sevier up on the third line, Which unless they, they're going to probably put McGinn. Somebody else on the third line. Your third line is going to be really young, and they're going to be getting ten minutes a night, and they might get ten minutes a night too, right? And then that puts. I would say more like thirteen minutes a night is what you would hope for. 
you'd hope for that. But Will Bugner, again... He who, does shorten his bench. He does shorten his bench. Again, He's not playing Ryan Reeves in the third period down a goal when you need a win to stay right. alive in the Stanley Cup Finals. Ahem. So... Again, he's got to do a lot of adjusting, and he's got to show that he can handle all these challenges on the fly. I know he doesn't have the experience, but you know, and that's not his fault. But he's hired to get this team into the playoffs this year, he and he's got to. Like he has said in these interviews, he said that he's thinking about tweaks, and he's been looking at video, so he's thinking I, about these hope, things. Whether he gets the decision I right, I think the biggest tweak. I think the biggest tweak on opening night will be the defensive top four parents. I think you can name the top four D right now out loud, but I think they're going to be different parents. I think you're going to have Matheson. I think we're going to get it because I think that they're going to put Bogdan Kisilvich on the offhand side to play with the Andal because, I mean, they were saying it. Their biggest thing on defense going into the offseason was getting Yandel a better partner for him, getting Yandel a different partner. So Yandel doesn't have to do the Ekblad stuff. Like, you know, get out there and eat all those minutes because Ekblad's on the ice with them. You know, he can play away from Ekblad and just do the stuff that Yandel's good at doing. If, if that is and, the case uh, with the defensive pairings, if they play Kisilevich with Yandel, that would be very interesting. I'd like to see that. I think it I would, could work. I, I would love to see it. And, and if, I would like to see it because you know they're not going to just switch. Uyghur as your third pair. Yeah, that's how I would do it. I mean, and you can throw... I mean, and you could throw honestly, I would probably have Weegan, McCaution as your third pair, but I know they're not going to take this again. I know you don't like. Them. But I think that there's got there's going to be, like we said, there's going to be people off this roster, not just Wade. one, Petrovich but there's going to be people off this roster. Yeah, Petrovich uh, is one think, guaranteed because that one year contract was the we're giving you a contract. We'll see if we can move you, and if not, you'll be a free agent next year. And this is a big fall for Ian McCaution. Uh, you. Emakoshin needs to get playing time, and every time he played, he was fine. It's there's he seems to be the odd man out with a bunch of numbers. Hopefully, Pesher going will alleviate that. Yep. But then he's still going to be behind a bunch of guys. But um, I mean, when you have seventeen back to backs, you can take Weger out for a night and play Makoshin, and you won't see it. And drop. it's fine if Makoshin doesn't work or whatever. But whether you move him or do anything with him. I think you can't just send him down the AHL. I think you got to keep him in the NHL. That's going to increase he's gonna any. The, he's going to be the seventh defenseman and, to start the. But I think I think you got to give him games. You got to give him minutes. You got to give him showtime. You, you got to trade him back to backs. You've got a billion back to backs. Yeah. You so you got to work them in. Games. I think so you will. I think this, they will. When all this is really coming. Season, when when everything's coach, really coming in on Bob Boob. Yeah. Well, he's had to make the, good coaches have to make these difficult decisions, and most of them do. I mean, John Cooper played Ryan Callahan too much, and it cost the Lightning a, a playoff series. Right. And you know, we're we're honest. It's not going to be. He's not going to operate at ninety-five efficiency with decision making. He's not going to be a hundred percent. What we are just looking for the good process, and then more and then more hits than misses. That's yeah. all. And I think good by the end of the year, he got more hits than misses. He figured things out. Now he just has I to figure think, it out again. Yes, I think I think by the end of the year, he kind of worked his way back up to even, and that was a, but that was a big hole. So maybe you count that as a positive at the end. Well, because they I don't were know. the best team yeah. in the league from the All Star break on. Yeah, it helps when it, it helps when a lot of teams don't ice the best lineup against you. It helps when a lot of teams don't take you seriously anymore. It helps when you play a lot of seriously. Back. But the Panthers also have the advantage of playing in a terrible division. 
where they get four games against really awful teams. Or right. I, so, I are going from mildly awful to incredibly terrible. Now, so basic thing is prospect pools looking good because of drafting and because Borgstrom, their top end is really good. They have top end talent. They used to have no top end talent and just a bunch of maybe minor leaguers. Now they have a bunch of maybe minor leaguers and top end talent. So as they keep drafting well, they're add the depth. Mm-hmm. So that's good with the prospects. But, you know, don't get too hype on the prospect rankings now. If they do re-rankings in December, the Panthers will be a lot lower because it's likely Borgstrom and Tippett won't be prospects anymore. And that will severely drop them, maybe even into, like, the low teens. So don't get too high. Don't be bra- too braggadocious. You know, they're not they're, they're better. Not than that important. It's more important that they make NHLers at the end of the day uh, and get usefulness out of Howard Luck somehow, or get usefulness out of Happel or or Bikoff or some of these guys than it is to be ranked ninth in, in 2008. August. In August. So, uh, and then know, yes, as far as the log gamut forwards, it's getting a little frustrating that they they keep saying they're going young and they keep saying they're turning the team over to young guys and then keep getting vet guys who are only there for locker room presence, for their leadership, for grit, for those types of things. And that's where a lot of this anger you're seeing and a lot of frustration is. It's it's the fourth, fifth year of this, and people are getting tired of it because you hype it in June, change your mind in August, have a bad start in October, out of it by Christmas, trade deadline, then you pick it back up again. It, it's a yo-yo. It plays with a lot of fans' emotions, and they got to break the cycle this year. And it's got to mean a playoff berth, and it's got to mean some playoff success, however you want to define that. Okay, so let's go over a couple of other things quickly. Uh, one Panthers related, and then others things that have happened throughout the uh, the summer in the world of hockey before we uh, wrap it up for this rebirth. Just heads up, I got five minutes so. for the rebirth of the Why Hockey Periodical podcast. First of all, we didn't talk about the Jeff Skinner to Buffalo trade on the air. We talked about it off the air. Uh, I'm surprised. I mean, we talked about their price. It was not a huge price, but, you know, for what that they should have gotten for Jeff Skinner, I think they overplayed their hand, Carolina. All their trades that they had made before that were pretty good. This one, not so much. A lot of draft picks and Cliff Plew, who is a okay prospect, but not great. And for Buffalo, to get Jeff Skinner... If he does really well for you, that's fantastic. If he doesn't, you trade him and someone will pay you for uh, King's Ransom for him at the trade deadline. Also, he's going to be great playing with Jack Eichel. You know that. So it's a good restart for him. I think it's a good trade for Buffalo. For Carolina, you have to reinvest in the draft picks, and you knew you had to trade him. I think they kind of burned the candle at both ends a bit with that value. But I mean, And then I think at the end of the day, they ended up picking. They realized how far they got, and they ended up picking – I don't want to say quantity over quality, but kind of with lottery tickets. They went for more lottery tickets. Uh, Although I do, I do like like Cliff Pooh more than most. So uh, I'll give it, I give it a little better grade, but yeah, I mean, Jeff Skinner price probably got dragged down by Pacioretty hanging out there by Hoffman going for nothing twice. Uh, You know um, that, that hurts. I mean, whether you can know the context or not, or can argue for the context or not, you know, it's hard when other guys who score just as much are around the same age are going for pretty low prices to tell a GM to pay more. Yeah, it's just it, the reality. It was a bizarre. It was a bizarre thing, but I mean, for Carolina, but good on Buffalo. Still, good on Buffalo. Well, it was good it. for Buffalo. They're going to be an NHL team in 2018. 
They're going to be a, a, a solid 80-point NHL team. That's that's for them. That's improvement. Uh, there was it's also the bizarre. There was also the bizarro trade for Marion Hosa's contract because the Coyotes do these kinds of things. Hey, the Coyotes got Vinny Hinnestrosa who could help them out. The, the the Coyotes make good moves. It just never appears on paper that they're uh, anywhere better on the ice. That's the problem. But I, I mean, it was a funny move for the Blackhawks. They got rid of dead money. They still have a bunch of it that they need to get rid of. But you know, it wasn't a huge price to pay to get rid of uh, to get rid of Hostess contract. And for the Coyotes, I mean, hey, that that's a good way to weaponize cap space, and it helped them get like a bunch of solid now they just have to... players. They just yeah. have to put it together on the ice because everybody loves everything that they do all the time. But they just have to put it together. I mean, on the, ice. the the first couple steps of the rebuild process is the easiest, to be honest with you. Any a lot of people can do it. The tearing down and, and acquiring all the pieces, but then getting the Turning them into the right pieces, developing them along the right way, stacking them in the right order. Really good for them. He's going to succeed there. I'm not sure about Christian Dvorak's contract, but you know, Michael Grabner for three years. I'm a big Dvorak fan, but you know, probably not wise. But otherwise, like Ekman Larson signed for less than you thought he would, and he stayed with the Coyotes. That's important. I mean, they didn't do anything else that was terribly wrong. They re-signed Jalmers into a solid deal. Like you hope Ronson Kemper are good enough. Like they could sneak into the playoffs this year. They could. I don't think they will, but they could. Like, they make all these good moves. You want them to succeed, you know. And I like that they take these risks and they do these interesting moves. They've got a lot of interesting forwards. You just hope that it all comes together for them at one point. Because last year they were so bad to start the year that it just started the yeah. hole that they couldn't they couldn't find their way out of. And, um, and honestly, it's, it's one of the reasons the Panthers don't want to waste time in a wild card fight. Just get the division and get one of the division spots. And, and I, I don't think that's going to happen, but because the Atlantic is so bad, they could probably I think up one of the wild card win, spots really early. Yeah, but I think, you know, win your division games, take care of your division games, and then... They've played well. Be above the your... The Leafs and the Bruins and so the Lightning. Carry it over. Carry it over. Put, step it up a little bit well, I like and, that they and go for that the third. It's a great test for them on opening night. It's, it's a I think, proper test for them on the first game of the season. How yeah, I think the Lightning the best team in the Eastern Conference. But I mean, all it takes is for you know one team to start off slow, one team to slip because it's going to be you know the Panthers are only going to be two, four points behind those those teams you think are going to get division spots. So. It could just be a quick swing of things, and they're in a division spot. Like, here's the thing. The goal for the Panthers this year, you might not be better than those teams, but you have to prove that you can compete with them all the time. We think yes. on paper that they can. But the question is now, whether that translates on the ice. And can they do that? Yes. You also have a bunch of games against bad teams to prove yourself. You get four against Detroit. You get four against the crappiest of crap that is the Senators. You get four against Montreal. You get four against the Sabres. You get three games against the Islanders and the Rangers who are going to be bad. There's more bad in the East than there is in the West. Take advantage of that and play well. And they play a lot of not great teams early on. They've got four of their first nine are against Vancouver, Detroit, Rangers, and Islanders. Those are not very good hockey teams. You can win all of those games, and they've proven that they can and that they should. Uh, as we take another break, we'll have one more little bit of something to talk about when we end this podcast because we always find a lot of things to talk about. We'll get into more other hockey-related things and who covers the Panthers. That's something we'll talk about shortly. podcast has been interrupted with our breaks for me getting my car service and Tommy Kulikowski having a work call. But we're going to quickly finish up this show by talking about a couple of other things that we want to mention. Also during the summer, we lost Matt DeFranks to the Dallas Stars or the Dallas Morning News, which is unfortunate. Awesome. I'm, I'm sad because he was doing some really great stuff. 
Like, it was great to have a beat writer. I mean, we love George and Harvey, but... He was a two-sport beat writer. He was doing he was know. doing the Marlins, too. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's just excessive pain you have to inflict on somebody. But he was doing great work, and I don't know, maybe we'll have him back to talk about Tyler Sagan's contract situation at some point, because that's going to be the entirety of his beat for the next year. But we want to mention quickly that as of this point, there are no Panthers beat writers, and Jameson is our friend, but he works for the team, so that doesn't count. Uh, there is nobody for the Sentinel, although they hired Matt in, like, September, so give it a few weeks, and I think they'll have a Panthers beat writer. The Herald doesn't have anybody yet. They didn't have anybody last year, and now they've started up a subscription athletic-type service where you pay a little bit extra. I think it's, like, $2 a month for the sports section, basically, and they still don't have a Panthers beat writer. And the Athletic has started a Miami site. They only have a Dolphins writer at this point. Here's what I'm going to say to Panthers fans that listen to this show. You already know that if you want your team to be covered, you have to click on the stuff, you have to subscribe. So I'm assuming the Sun Sentinel is going to hire somebody to be a Panthers beat writer. Might not be Matt DeFranks, but it'll be a beat writer, and that's important. The Herald, you have to prove to them that you will subscribe to their service if they hire a Panthers beat writer. So that same holds with The Athletic. And that's the thing that I tell Panthers fans. If you want your team to be covered, you're going to have to click, and you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to put your money where your mouth is. So if you do enough convincing to the people at the Miami Herald to say you need to hire a Panthers beat writer, we will subscribe if you do, then if they hire somebody, you need to subscribe. I will say it on this podcast. I will pay the $2 a month for the Miami Herald Sports Service if they hire a Panthers beat writer. I will join the Athletic if I don't have a subscription yet because I'm poor, but if they hire somebody to cover the Panthers, we'll work something out about how we can try to make sure that we're paying for that. If you want the Panthers to have the coverage that they deserve, and that's not just the team covering the team, which doesn't really count as far as I'm concerned from a journalistic perspective, you need to pay for it. You need to click. So when the Sun Sentinel hires a Panthers beat writer, because I think they're going to, I have no intel, but I expect that they will, and if you get somebody from The Athletic and The Herald, you pay for it, and then you'll get the coverage of the Panthers that you deserve. We can only do so much. I'm not in South Florida. Tommy's not in South Florida. We watch all the games. I watch all the games. We go to as many as we can, and we talk about it, but we can't be there. We don't know how the day-to-day battles for the bottom six are going to go because we can't go to practices to tell you how they're going to go. But hopefully, if and when there's a beat writer, they will tell you, and you will read their stuff. I know a lot of you read Matt DeFranks' stuff, which was good, but you also have to prove that there is a demand there for the Miami Herald to cover the Panthers and for the Athletic to hire somebody. I think the Athletic's going to hire somebody anyway because that's just what they do because they've hired literally everybody under the sun at this point. But you need to prove that the demand is there. You need to read it, and you need to pay for it. And that's an entire thing with journalism, period. It is not free. It is a public service. And the only way that you can get good public services is that if you pay for it. I'm talking about journalism in general, but also it happens with sports journalism. If you want it, you have to pay for it. And so Panthers fans who are out there, and I know there's enough that really do care about this team, and certainly there will be more that care if they make the playoffs, you got to pay for what you want, and you got to put your money where your mouth is. So that is a public service announcement as we are almost in September, which means it's pretty much almost hockey season. Panthers play their first preseason games in two weeks or, like, 17, 18 days. So if you want the Panthers to have the beat coverage you expect them to have, you have to pay for it. And that means you're going to have to pay a little extra money for the Herald and the Athletic. But if you do, you might actually get the coverage that you want, and it will not be a one-beat writer team this year. 
and the Panthers radio guest of choice will not be team employees. The end. You got that, Panthers fans? We're going to hold ourselves to that too, and hopefully you hold yourself to that as well. That was my diatribe on beat writers. Good thing we got that taken care of. You have anything to say about that, Tommy? No, but all I can say is if anybody steps up and is a credential Florida Panthers writer, whether it's somebody on their own or somebody affiliated with the newspaper or a digital yeah. site or whatever, yeah, whoever it is, wherever they come from, you got to step up, click on them, read them every morning, because the only way other people follow them is if you click on the first one. So whether you like him or her or you think that they're the best for the job or not, whatever, the only way to get a second one, someone you may like later, is to read the first one so they don't just shut it down and shutter it forever because that's what happens. A lot of times people do these exploratory things that doesn't work out and then they never come back to it because they have the, the evidence. Was it doesn't really good work. And he got clicks, but yeah. you need to do it again. You need to right. prove to the Miami Herald that, that you subscribe to their service if they hire a Panthers beat writer. Because, yeah. let's be honest, they're going to cover the team if and when they make the playoffs. But they will look really, really bad when they parachute in to cover a playoff team when the Heat are in the middle of nowhere, when you haven't had a beat writer for them. So you have to prove it to them, and you have to put your money where your mouth is. When the Herald announced this service, I made a tweet. I said, are you going to hire a Panthers beat writer? Because that is a major team in your market, and right now probably has the best chance of being good this year. It's not the Marlins, it's not the Heat, it's not the Dolphins. The University of Miami football doesn't really count. It's the Panthers. As much as we have qualms about the way that they run their business and the way they run their operation, they are still probably a playoff team this year. And how embarrassing would it be for the beat, uh, for the big paper in Dade County, not too far away from where the Panthers play, it isn't in Dade, but not too far away, that they don't have a beat writer covering a playoff team in their market until the playoffs start. You have to prove it to them. That's my diatribe, and we're going to say this every single day. When the Sentinel hires somebody, you follow them on Twitter, you click, you read their stuff, and you do it a lot, and you prove that the demand is there. That's the only way you're going to get more of the beat writers that you want. And listen, if I could get one of those jobs, maybe I'd take it, but I've got other career options, I've got other ideas, and we can't do everything we'd like to do from where we are. But we can tell you this is what you need to do if you want the Panthers to be covered in the way that they should be covered. Because every other team at this point has a beat writer. The Panthers right now have zero. You hope it changes, and I bet it does. But when it, when one gets hired, you have to follow them, and you have to read their stuff, and you have to support them, even if they're not the best, and even if they don't know the team as well immediately, they'll figure it out. I know many people in this industry, they can do it. Okay? You have to trust that they're going to get it right eventually. And, again, you saw how good Matt DeFranks was. Hopefully somebody else like that could come in, and then... And then you start to see the buildup of how the team gets covered. And again, we're not talking about Leafs Media Corps here. We're talking about getting a couple of beat writers and a couple of people that we could talk to and a couple of people who can offer different perspectives on the beat of this team. And that's what it needs. And it's had it, but hopefully it has it again. And you've got to show that the demand is there. And that is all Panthers fans. And there are a number of them on Twitter, and I know they exist. You have to show the demand is there. And I know they can, and I know they will, because I know most Panthers fans agree with us here. Other things around the hockey world that we want to talk about briefly before we end this show, before we talk a little bit about what our plans are going forward. Uh, trades that haven't happened. I, we're not going to talk about Max Pacioretty because then it's going to end up devolving into us yelling about whether he's going to be a Panther or not. So let's not do that. 
how about Eric Carlson? Are you surprised it's August 30th when we're recording this? He's not traded yet. Uh, no, because I thought he was going to be traded by the All-Star break and if he, or the trade deadline. And if he wasn't, then it was because it's just a dysfunctional circus. And we learned it was a dysfunctional circus. And uh, I'm not surprised they haven't figured it out and realized that they needed to move this guy. So I bet... I bet we're going to see him in training camp. I bet we're going to see an ugly, ugly beginning of the year. And uh, he'll probably be moved for peanuts sometime during the year. November, like when we saw the Duchesne trade? Yeah, I mean, there's like two two spots for it to go, three spots for him to go. Because everyone knows that he's probably just going to sign a UFA wherever he wants to go. Unless he literally like said team. Like Vegas is one. I mean, I... It's still going to be Vegas. After Tavares signed in Toronto, I'm just Carlson signing in Tampa Bay. I mean, I could see him signing in Tampa. I obviously could, but then they'd have to get rid of a lot of players. But that's an offseason. They can't make that trade necessarily. Uh, I know know you're still thinking he could go to the Flyers. Possible. Possible. I think it would be a good move for the Flyers to do that, but I I can't think of anywhere else that he'd want to go. And... Also, there's Artemi Panarin, who has made some news in terms of saying he might not re-sign with the Blue Jackets, and he gave a drop-dead deadline, I think it was the 15th of September, before he will uh, stop negotiating a contract, and the rumors was he wants to go somewhere near an ocean, and uh, the Panthers naturally are near an ocean, so perhaps there's something there. I don't think he goes to the Panthers, and if you had a choice, take Artemi Panarin over Max Pacioretty 100 times out of 100, and also, he'd fit in really well with all the Russians down here. But what, what about the Panarin situation? And that directly affects the Panthers because Columbus is a team they have to jump to make the playoffs. And they were barely better than the Panthers last year, all things considered. And so if the Panarin thing goes south, where do we go from there with the Blue Jackets? I think he ends up a duck or a king. Maybe even a shark. I think he ends think up somewhere in California. Good Kings, Kings, I think would they have be my favorite teams. because the Kings, the Kings need that next wave, especially up front, and they'd be the ones who would probably risk more and move more to get him. They'd have to for, move say Martin San Jose. Probably. I mean, they'd have to move somebody worthwhile. Who knows? And money, and, and money too. They'd have to move a lot of money out. That's yeah. I mean, that's. Easy. And I don't Columbus think hasn't been afraid of moving dead money for dead money or for taking back money before, so I don't think it's going to be an issue. true. I mean, that's been their history. Uh, but do you think they end up having to deal him at some point? The Kings? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> Columbus? He has to do a lot of deals, but the Blue Jackets. Columbus, Panarin Columbus, ends up being traded. No, I think he doesn't. Um... Because I think that they're going to believe that they can talk to him. They can uh, change his mind. And they also they believe almost, that he could be good this year. I mean, if they they really tried to make Jeff Carter work when everybody knew it wasn't going to work. So I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I think Panarin ends up in L.A. Um, or Anaheim at the worst. And uh, I think – I think is the other one, which is a real option for it for him. And, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Detroit does with Zetterberg. 
Oh, yeah. He's, he's uh, going to he's gonna get LTIR. They're going to have like 10 to 15 million on LTIR this year, the Red Wings. I really, I really like Zetterberg, and I know he's getting upset that people are saying that he's pulling a host or whatever. And, you know, he just has to understand that when you put up with an injury for years and then you stop putting up with it the year that your salary drops by millions of dollars, it's it, it subconsciously or consciously it plays so, a part. So, so you're telling me that Henrik Zetterberg has become a New Jersey Devils legend. That's what you're telling me is going to happen. No, I'm just. I think he's going to become an Arizona Coyotes legend. Ah, well, then Dave Boland's contract comes off the books this year. Yep, and they'll just pump it right into Zetterberg, who's got like what seven more years or he's something. Got, no, he has two more years at six point oh eight three. I think that it's Carolina or New Jersey are the only two teams in real cap, like, you know, they could afford to do something like that. Um, The Red Wings, boy, I mean, they have Johan Franz and still has two years, including this year, on his deal. I mean, if I'm Detroit, I just eat it and try to steal first overall and Jack Hughes away from Colorado. I'd be doing the same thing because they're going to be bad this year, but it it, it seems that Franz and and, uh, Zetterberg are both going to be just LTIR'd. What about uh, I mean they gave Athens to see you two years and three million. All right, Larkin got six point one over five. What are we thinking about some of those contracts? You know, where's Dylan Larkin been the last few years? I mean, obviously the team has been woods, a bit in the woods. It, the team hasn't been that great, but you know, he was their projected number one C down the line. I don't think he fits into a number one C anymore. I don't think anyone will say that, but you I mean. After his year at Michigan, after his rookie year, there was obviously there was some people thought it was realistic that he was going to be one C, um, but he's just still going to be a solid top six, top nine player. I just I don't know. That's that's a big cap hit for someone who I don't think brings as much to the table as say other players who make that money and have gotten that money at that age. Mm-hmm. I guess I mean, you can say that. We've seen a lot of players that's, go for. We've also seen a lot of players this year. They go for one-year deals. William Carlson, I think, was five point five for him this year. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really good percentage. sense for Carlson because I mean, you still got to prove it. Like you can't give if you're the Golden Knights, you can't give a long-term contract to him after one year. And for William Carlson, if you do that again, you're suddenly worth maybe I don't know, double that. Right. Or yeah. At least. I mean, and I think he. Eighty percent. I think he'll more. probably. I think he'll probably just have a good year, maybe a top six quality year for like 60 points. Themselves, but we've and then he'll probably still... There. We've seen a lot of these one-year contracts. You know what I mean? We've seen a lot of, like, Kevin Hayes went for one year. We're talking this year at the trade deadline a ton of really good potential UFAs on the market. Insane. Yeah, we said that last year too. Well, no, but I mean, I mean, this year it's a lot different. Like, how about how about the Rangers? I mean, somebody's gonna want Kevin Hayes. Somebody's gonna want Matt. Who's gonna? I don't want Kevin Hayes. Someone I don't want Matt. Going to. I did not say you did. I said someone. How about the New York Hockey Islanders? They've got Eberle, Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, Jan Kovar, perhaps. All those players, Jeff Skinner could be sure. trade bait if they don't work. Like, there's a lot of players on bad teams on one-year deals who could end up getting traded. We could have a crazy trade deadline this year. And we won't just because teams are risk-averse. And Well, you'd rather them be risk-averse, I guess, than, uh, than uh, be, be dumb. But there was always a couple of dumb teams out there, I guess. 
Yeah, well, that's really about it. There's really been nothing. It, it's been it's been quiet. I mean, that's why we spent 30 minutes talking about frickin', uh Jesus, about Troy Brower. But most of it, not Hey, I, it bears repeating that oh, there's oh. too many Florida fans who just brush this off and who, who, who don't see it. And then there's a few Florida fans that understand that this is a warning sign, that things might not be... Oh, as turned oh, around this another, year. There's another contract that we didn't talk about, which was Ryan Ellis signing for 6.25. Insane. Why? How Sorry. does Nashville do that? Because the, this is why I say it's really important not to sign guys like Keith Yandel and stuff, because you need to keep your salary structure intact. The Nashville Predators for years have signed defensemen to similar contracts those defensemen have done well and have gotten the bigger carrot afterwards. John, and so they all, they all do it. Four over eight years. Yeah. But like, why is Ryan Ellis going to be the one who, who breaks that salary cap structure? Probably when you got Yossi. You got, you got Yossi, you got Ekman, you got, you got Ekholm, you got a ton of good D coming. You got a few good D prospects coming too. Yeah. If he really wants to win a cup in Nashville, he understands that Nashville's not Toronto. They're not going to be able to afford it. And if he wants to have decent centers, he's been there when they had no centers. You got to lose a couple million to pay for Ryan Johansson, to pay for, to keep Kevin Fiala around and all this stuff. And he understands that. And that's good because he was paid fairly. Yes, he was. He was paid fairly well, and no one's going to be yelling at him in five years. No one's going to be yelling at him in five years. Well, we'll be yelling at Tom Wilson in five years because that contract was great. We're yelling at Tom Wilson in five days. Wow. This is probably true. Uh, but I, I can't think of any other, like, just completely awful contracts that we saw. A lot more bridge deals. The long-term deal maybe going a bit out of style because more players are trying to push for bridge deals. Anyway, that is this first Why Hockey podcast of the new season-ish. We are going to start to pick up a little bit where we left off. We've got some great guests planned for this month of September. We've got great ideas. We have some other little goodies. We're going to get back into our stride, so it's still going to be a little bit under construction at the moment for this podcast, but stay tuned. Trying to get up to weekly coverage again for this podcast, but we're almost there. We're almost there. We're excited to bring this uh, to you, and we're excited to be back on brand by yelling about Troy Brower for 30 minutes. That's what we do. But anyway. Terrible contract. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen the Florida Panthers do. You just gave out a better player. You just gave a better hockey player. Tottenham Hotspur just waxed Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford, and Maryland football is admired in complete and total garbage scandal. Troy Brower is not the biggest worry I have at this moment. The biggest worry I have is the Florida Panthers not playing better prospects. Uh, well, again, we all have different worries. Anyway, enjoy it's the all about podcast. that Stanley Cup, baby. It is all about the Stanley Cup in the Just end. Just September. Playing. What are you, Al Davis now? Anyway, we will see you soon. Stay Go Raiders. Great ideas, because the Y Hockey Podcast is always improving, and the future is very bright. We'll play our prospects. We'll play our innovation, and we'll play our cards in a different way. How about that? We'll see you soon.